This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 6, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The supply of various professionals, most notably in healthcare, is in a dire state nationwide. And at the center of that problem sits licensing. Ed Timmons directs the Knee Regulatory Research Center. We discuss the big moves some states are making at radically reducing the burden of state licensing for various occupations and ending wholesale various certificate of need requirements for business. Careful listeners to the Cato Daily Podcast will recall that we talk about occupational licensing and that it is sort of, it remains still an unsung impediment to a great deal of productivity that could be unleashed throughout the U.S. economy, and in particular states, and states for the most part are the the chief regulators when it comes to occupational licenses. And to what extent have you seen some change in that area? Where where have we seen the most uh, change in the last few years and recognition of this as a problem? I think a a critical factor was in 2015 when the Obama White House put out a white paper that summarized what us economists know about the effects of occupational licensing. After the release of that report, I think licensing moved into that critical realm of nonpartisan policy issues. And since the publication of that report, I think more and more states are recognizing that growth in licensing presents a problem. And you know certainly licensing potentially can restrict mobility of workers. And that's the exactly what universal recognition tries to get at. So universal recognition, what states have adopted that? And what are the sort of contours of what that looks like when states do adopt it? So, so far, there have been 21 states that have enacted some form of this reform. New Jersey was the first state to enact this reform in 2013, but it included language that workers that were looking to move into New Jersey still had to have similar requirements. Arizona really revolutionized the the reform in, in this area and they did not include that language. Arizona essentially said under Governor Doug Ducey that if you have a license in good standing, we'll accept it. So, you know, that that's a, a critical difference that we see across the states that have adopted the reform. And when we analyzed the effects of universal recognition, we, we found that, as we might expect, that, that states that don't include that language seem to be better able to recruit other licensed workers and also bringing workers in in from the sideline that weren't able to work prior to the reform. Now, this is a debate that I've seen up close in my state, and I assume other states are, are considering ideas like this as well. For states that might be considering something like this, which is to say, if you're in a particular regulated occupation and you have a license in another state and you would like to work in our state where you would otherwise have to go through some onerous, new, repetitive, duplicative training in order to maintain that license. What do you have to say to the states that that might be considering this? The, the results of our research show that universal recognition has 
strong, measurable implications for the labor market. We we found that states that passed this reform experienced a 1% increase in employment. We saw a, a pretty significant increase in in-migration, almost 50% increase in in-migration following passage of this reform. And it seems to be operating through fewer people staying on the, sa- the sidelines in states, so more, more labor market participation, and also easier access to folks to find employment. So unemployment seems to go down following the passage of the reform. And you know I, w- what I'd say is that all of these folks that are taking advantage of the reform have the relevant experience. So it, it's not as if we're completely deregulating these particular professions and the, the, the associated regulations. All that we're saying is that if an individual in Tennessee is licensed or has the relevant experience working in the licensed profession, that we'll recognize this individual and let them work in Kentucky. So a, a lot of states have major cities on borders. And so I wonder if the impact on people who otherwise just couldn't expand their businesses into a neighboring state, what that does for them. I don't, I don't know if your research has specifically touched on that, but it, it seems like for a lot of licensed people in one state who are paying taxes in that state would be able to expand their businesses in ways that they might not be able to otherwise. Yeah, we we did some analysis looking at the borders and you know as as we'd expect we we did observe effects along those bordering counties. And I will also say that my colleagues Alicia Plemons and Darwin Deo, they have published research as well that looks at the effects around border counties and they they also observe more effects in and around those border counties. And you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we would anticipate that for those folks that are closer to the border, we'd expect more folks to be able to take advantage and use the reform. You've talked about the effects on employment, but in terms of pricing, what, do, what should consumers expect when they're trying to take advantage of the services of people who are licensed and had their license from another state just recognized? Yeah, from the consumer's standpoint, you potentially could see some drops in prices because now there are more choices. And you know, also just consumers will have more choice. There'll be more providers available as a result of this reform. And certainly giving consumers more options is also beneficial. And again, there, there's no worry about any drop in quality. The, these folks are folks that already have experience, they already have some credential uh, showing that they've completed some minimum amount of education and training. So there's really no concerns on the downside with respect to this reform. And they have a record. That's right. Right. I mean, they, they, they have a record operating in another state where they are in good standing so that the, the idea of uh, a fly by night operator moving into your state. No, they're the relevant authorities have had opportunities to cite these folks for something they may have done wrong, but haven't. That's absolutely right. And we, we haven't seen any 
state that's passed the reform walk it back. You know, th- th- there's been no state that said, oh, you know, now now we have all kinds of concerns about quality. We, we just don't observe that. And in fact, uh, states seem to be benefiting from from passing the reform. So most people who understand that there are certain licensed occupations or certain unlicensed occupations, of course, there's been a dramatic increase uh, as you've doc- you and others have documented. But for the people who make the decisions about the licenses, the boards, I think most people don't really understand, well, frankly, how nasty that can actually be. That is the range of people who are given to a governor or a legislature to approve members of a board that will then be making decisions about licensing for thousands of people in a state. Would you care to go into any of that? Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's definite concern about conflict of interest. And, you know, you, you have to wonder, are, are these appointed officials serving the best interest of the public? Or are they mer- merely thinking about the, their own pocketbooks and, and thinking about potentially blocking competition? And, you know, certainly with Certain aspects of occupational licensing, like, for example, grandfather provisions that that say that if you're already working in in the profession, you don't have to meet these requirements. It's only the new aspiring professionals that are going to need to meet these new requirements. It's instances like those that you know really give one pause and you know wonder what what's really going on here is this really about protecting the public or is this really just about restricting competition and to the extent that there are people who are unable at all to consume the services of some of these licensed practitioners because the prices have been made have been rendered high there are costs there that ought to be counted as well. That's absolutely right. And there's a really good, it's an older study, but it looks at the effects of electrician licensing. And what what the authors find, Carol and Gaston, what they find is that after electrician licensing gets passed, we actually see an increase in electrocutions. And what, what, of course, what happened here is that more folks are doing the work themselves. Consumers get priced out of the market, and thus they choose to do, uh, and certainly I don't want to be doing electrical work, uh, that, that will be a disaster, you know, but w- w- we don't want that situation. You know, so it's, it's, it's striking the right balance. I mean, we, we, we might want to have some minimum quality standard but we certainly don't want to push the the quality standards so high that consumers get priced out of the market and don't get services at all. So, you know, striking that right balance, I think, and certainly the the fraction of professionals that we have licensed in the United States does not seem to be striking that right balance. I think we need to move towards less regulation. So, the knee center, I'll do a little cheerleading for the knee center has been the leader in the United States in detailing a lot of the the sort of needless loss of product the deadweight losses associated with a lot of these uh, licensing regimes but the knee center has expanded can you describe what's going on 
Yeah, so we, we recently changed our name. We're, we're now the Knee Regulatory Research Center. And we're still going to be very much focused in doing work on occupational licensing. That's my, my main passion, and that's something that I'll always be working on. But we're also doing work now in Certificate of Need. This is an area that is very dynamic, and, and more and more states are looking at reforming and eliminating Certificate of Need requirements. Also, the scope of practice of other healthcare professionals besides physicians, so looking at nurse practitioners, physician assistants, assistant physicians, uh, psychologists, pharmacists. You know, given that we don't have enough primary care providers, I think this is another critical issue trying to expand supply of healthcare professionals. And we're also now doing some work on criminal justice. So, you know, looking at folks that have made some mistake in their past and making sure that they aren't facing unnecessary barriers to getting back into civil society and contributing to civil society. So what in the certificate of need, which is an, an area of, of great interest, like occupational licensing, particularly in my household, just based on the research background that my wife is engaged in. So what's the state of certificate of need? There have been states that, that seem to have made some tremendous progress in eliminating them, never mind the dozens of states that have no such requirements and things seem to be going just fine there. But, but what's changed recently? I think a, a huge breakthrough was South Carolina. Now, South Carolina this year, eliminating its certificate of need requirements for all but one nursing homes. In, in 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 the state, I think the the movement there could very well inspire some other southern states because certificate of need is quite heavy uh, in in the south, and you know certainly that the south does have a lot of rural residents that don't have access to health care, and certificate of need is no doubt a contributing factor. So you know I think. South Carolina could very well be that lightning rod, if you will, that perhaps convinces some of these other southern states that have been re reluctant to move, like Kentucky, uh, to potentially uh, take a hard look. And, and Kentucky does have a task force right now. Georgia has a task force that is really taking a hard look at certificate of need. And you know, hopefully there'll, there'll be some recognition that the, the, the costs of, of this, this regulation are f far higher than, than, than the benefits, if there are any. What have we learned about the costs and benefits of certificate of need regulation since, oh, let's just say, let's pick a date at random, March of 2020? I, I can just speak to the work of my colleague, Matt Mitchell, and I'll, I'll, I'll channel my, my colleague, Matt Mitchell, here. He, he's written a, a definitive analysis, just looking at every single study that's been done to date on certificate of need. And what he finds is that certificate of need does not reduce cost. There's very little evidence that certificate of need reduces cost. There's very little evidence that it enhances quality. And it also seems to restrict access to care. So, you know, any of the purported benefits of certificate of need, and of course, it was passed originally with the intent of trying to rein in cost, 
that certainly doesn't seem to be the effect of certificate of need. But any of the other supposed benefits like enhancing quality or, you know, maybe trying to provide more care to Medicaid patients, the the research just doesn't bear that out. Uh, we, We have a lot of data. There have been more than 100 studies that have analyzed the effects of certificate of need. And it seems to be very clear that the costs of certificate of need are, are much larger than the benefits. Ed Timmons is director of the Knee Regulatory Research Center at West Virginia University. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>